Hello, my name is Gleb. I live in London and I run a C++ study group at work. In our weekly meetings, I talk about C++ news and anything related to C++. You can find the notes at cppclub.uk. This podcast and the meeting notes contain public information only. This is podcast episode number three for the meeting number 128 that took place on the 6th of May 2021. Right, so the April mailing is out and here is what caught my attention. Still expected proposal. Uh, this paper progresses to revision 10. It's an alternative error handling mechanism for when you cannot or don't want to use exceptions, but are okay with checking function return values, like in the old times. Reddit thread about this proposal has the usual topics. We need static deterministic exceptions. Another one, we don't need another error handling method which mentions Biana's paper criticizing Herb Sutter's proposal. The poster says I think he was right. Someone says, exceptions introduce invisible control flow, and so presumably we must handle everything manually and explicitly. Another poster says, Herbceptions is the ideal solution, but the committee has shown that it is both incapable of and unwilling to dedicate time to more important larger issues before C++29, as Bryce Lelbach said. To which Bryce himself replies, I didn't say that. He says, I never said uh, C23 and 26 are expected to be minor releases. And then Niall Douglas says, well, actually, I did say something like that. And what he said was, because of the lack of face-to-face meetings has so severely impacted early-stage proposals, you won't see the true effects of COVID on the C++ feature pipeline until 26 or 29. So obviously people were free to interpret this as they liked. Anyway, another proposal that caught my attention was this one we've seen before, Introduction of Stud Colony to the Standard Library. I thought it was getting renamed to StudHive, but maybe that was a separate paper just for renaming it. Colony is a formalization, extension, and optimization of what is typically known as a bucket array container. You have multiple memory blocks of elements and a Boolean token for each element, which denotes whether or not that element is active or erased, commonly known as a skip field. If it's erased, it is skipped over during iteration. When all elements in a block are erased, the block is removed so that iteration does not lose performance by having to skip empty blocks. If an insertion occurs when all the blocks are full, a new memory block is allocated. Because a skip field is used, no reallocation of elements is necessary upon erasure. Because the structure uses multiple memory blocks, insertion to a full container also do not trigger reallocations this means that element memory locations stay stable and iterators stay valid regardless of erasure insertion. Another proposal that caught my attention was static operator parenthesis or function call. This proposal is to just allow the ability to make the call operator a static member function instead of requiring it to be a non-static member function. This would enable getting rid of hidden this parameter when calls to function objects are not inlined. Uh, without knowing any background, this does look like a perhaps a useful addition. 
The next one is make declaration order layout mandated. The proposal is to remove the ability of implementations to reorder class members according to their access control, to follow the established industry practices and avoid problems with ABI. The paper says the current rules allow implementations freedom to reorder members in the layout if they have different access control, but this is not really used in practice. I must admit I didn't even know this possibility existed. The next one is preprocessor embed directive, binary resource inclusion. This is a C-compatible way of including binary resources into programs based on a new preprocessor directive, embed. The author is Jean-Hid Minit, who previously was pushing for a C++ feature called studEmbed, and now it turned into a preprocessor directive, curiously. Regarding studEmbed, uh, this Redditor writes, I don't know how true that is, could be just speculation. I think the author has decided that it would be helpful to get some implementation experience with the embed directive because the progress with embed has been very slow and the feedback from Luigi has not always been as helpful as it could have been. I think it's a bit of a shame we are going to see a new preprocessor feature introduced when we are trying to get rid of the preprocessor altogether. But if C compatibility is involved, then fair enough. Karantan Jabor wrote a proposal called for a few punctuators more, which is, I think, a reference to a spaghetti western for the few dollars more. This paper proposes that the dollar sign, the backtick, and the at symbol could be used as C++ tokens for any proposal that might need them in the future. It was prompted by the proposal of the dollar sign for reflection and its subsequent rejection out of the fear to break code or tools. Carantan writes, It seems increasingly difficult to find syntaxes for new features that are both distinct, easily readable and terse. The paper does not propose any changes to the standard but simply tries to convince the committee that having an option of using the above punctuators makes sense for any new features of C++. The author analyzes the current usage of the punctuators in C++ and other languages to see if, if there is a potential conflict. Here is, for example, how the at symbol is used in Objective-C and others. Apparently, you can use the dollar sign in identifiers because GCC Clang and MSVC and even ICC support it as an extension. I've never seen it used in identifiers. Must be lucky. Next is constexpr class. Andreas Fertig proposes to allow constexpr in the class head, much like final. It would declare that all member functions, including special member functions, in this class are implicitly constexpr. The author writes, this reduces the noise resulting from entirely constexpr classes as we have it now. I'm not sure about this. Comparing to final doesn't seem fair as final doesn't change functions in the class it's itself. Whereas if this proposal is accepted, it will become more difficult to see whether a class member function is constexpr, as you would have to look at the class declaration first. Maybe in this case a little additional verbosity is actually good and makes things clearer. 
In this case, the proposal is to help the author of the proposal in a concrete example, which he says was his test implementation of making unique putter constexper. So as he simply added constexper to all member functions of unique putter, he thought that maybe there was another way. The next one is extend init statement to allow alias declaration. Jens Morer uh, noticed an inconsistency in the fact that since C++20, it is valid to include type defs in the init expression within if, switch, and range 4, but not alias declarations, which are otherwise preferred over type defs. In C++20, you can do this for type def int t and then te over v, but you can't use using t equals int. And this paper proposes to fix that. The author says the alternative would be to prohibit type defs as an init statement. Next is a quick aside. If you remember, we mentioned JF Bastian and they said, I heard that he was no longer at Apple. I found where he was. Turns out he's at Woven Planet, which is a subsidiary of Toyota working on self-driving cars. They recently acquired Lyft's self-driving car unit, level 5. So good luck to JF Bastian in his new role. Maybe we'll actually see self-driving cars at some point in the future. I hear they will be allowed in London at some point this year. So that'll be fun. London streets are probably going to be a major stress test for any software algorithms. Visual Studio 2019 16.10 Preview 3 was released. That's entirely too many version numbers in one sentence. The main highlight is the included standard library, or STL, as they still call it, is C20 feature complete. They have a nice progress chart of STL features to be implemented, and as you can see, there's nothing to do or C++20. It's interesting how MSVC compiler transformed from something lagging behind the other compilers to something trailblazing the path. It didn't get unnoticed uh, by Reddit. Uh, they say, amazing, MSVC has been beating both GCC and Clang for C++17 and C++20. So that's very good news. I think Visual Studio 2019 will still be updating for the next year or so, because who knows how long it'll take them to productionize 2022. Speaking of other compilers, GCC 11.1 released. The release notes list the following major changes, switching the default debugging format to Dwarf 5, switching the default C++ language version to uh, GNU 17. I presume this means that it's C17 plus any uh, GCC specific extensions. Great progress in the C20 language support, both on the compiler and library sites, and experimental C23 support. So good to see that GCC is also progressing. Next, we have a paper. Constantine, who owns one of the coolest domain names a C++ developer could think of, const.me. 
wrote a document explaining SIMD, single instruction multiple data programming. He starts with the following motivation. I've noticed many programmers I'm working with aren't familiar with SIMD. I don't want to stop writing vectorized code. The performance is just too good. Instead, I'm writing this article hoping to educate people. Constantine explains how to use intrinsic compiler SIMD functions to achieve maximum performance without relying on compiler to vectorize your code. A Redditor comments, Programming SIMD with intrinsics is like programming in assembler. From personal experience, code full of intrinsics may be faster than compiler-optimized version, but can be a nightmare to support. Before deciding to use them in production, it is probably wise to benchmark your code against a proof-of-concept version that uses intrinsics and decide if the performance gain is significant enough to warrant potentially increased support efforts, especially if not all team members are comfortable with using intrinsics. To help the compiler, you can use data-oriented programming techniques, arranging your data structures in a way that simplifies parallelization. These techniques are especially popular in game development. The Reddit thread points to an interesting compiler from Intel that I didn't know about. Quote, ISPC is a compiler for a variant of the C programming language with extensions for single program multiple data, SPMD as they call it, programming. Under the SPMD model, the programmer writes a program that generally appears to be a regular serial program, though the execution model is actually that a number of program instances execute in parallel on the hardware. ISPC compiles a C-based SPMD programming language to run on the CMD units of CPUs and GPUs. It frequently provides a three times or more speedup on architectures with four wide vector SSE units and five to six times on architectures with eight wide AVX vector units without any of the difficulty of writing intrinsics code. It uses the remarkable LLVM compiler infrastructure for backend code generation and optimization, which their own compiler don't use. They're only now starting to, uh, to use Clang as the front end, but I think ICC has a completely proprietary backend. On CPU, it supports Windows, Mac, and Linux with both x86 and x86-64 targets. It currently supports the all kinds of instruction sets, uh, including Xeon, Phi, Knight's Corner. On GPU, ISPC supports Intel Processor Graphics Generation 9 and late on Linux platform. I wonder how the generated code performs on AMD CPUs and GPUs. Next, how C++ resolves a function call. Canadian programmer Jeff Preshing posted an article about how C++ resolves a function call, which has a nice diagram based on the C++ standard. He explains in detail what happens at each step of the diagram. Name lookup, which is member name lookup, qualified name lookup, and unqualified name lookup, with its own set of rules that include argument-dependent lookup, handling of function templates, overload resolution, and tiebreakers within that. This is a really good explanation that should be bookmarked and revisited more than once. 
the Reddit thread has more useful links, including ADL-related articles, like the description on cppreference.com, argument-dependent lookup, also known as ADL or Koenig lookup, which no one calls it like that anymore. These function names are looked up in the namespaces of their arguments, in addition to the scopes and namespaces considered by the usual unqualified name lookup. Also a related article by Arthur O'Dwyer, which starts with In the beginning, Biana created namespaces. Yeah, it's a fairly long one. And an AppSale tip of the week, number 49, about argument-dependent lookup. All of those are useful articles. Next, Arthur O'Dwyer writes, don't blindly prefer in place back to push back. Even a decade after C++11 was released, writes Arthur, I still sometimes see programmers assume that in place back is somehow related to move semantics. In place back was added to the language at the same time as std move, just like lambdas were added at the same time as std function, but that doesn't make them the same thing. In place back, constructs a container element in place given constructor arguments. You can also move an element into its place in the container, but in this case, pushback can also be used. Arthur Dwyer concludes, I recommend sticking with pushback for day-to-day use. You should definitely use in place back when you need its particular set of skills. For example, in place back is your only option when dealing with a deck of mutex or other non-movable type but pushback is the appropriate default. One reason is that in place back is more work for the compiler. Pushback is an overload set of two non-template member functions. In place back is a single variadic template. So when you call pushback, the compiler must do overload resolution, but that's all. When you call in place back, the compiler must do template type deduction followed by overload resolution, followed by function template instantiation, and code generation. That's a much larger amount of work for the compiler. In the Reddit thread, a Redditor nicely summarized the article. TLDR, understand what in place back does before you use it. <laughs> As usual, the thread goes into various interesting places, mentioning Scott Myers, and that subthread evolves into discussion of his retirement from C++. Where did Scott Myers go? Someone asks. Another one mentions an in place new anti pattern. We'll see it in just a moment. Speaking of anti patterns, the next is a whole website called C Anti Patterns. This page documents some common mistakes that I see again and again in bug reports and requests for help on sites like Stack Overflow, writes the author. The list includes the following. Reading from an iStream without checking the result. In many cases, the problem in the program is that in the input statement, there was a failure. So the variables uh, that was supposed to be read contain garbage values and the calculations are garbage in this example. Otherwise, the program has no way to check the assumption that it reads from the file correctly. Uh, the solution is simple. Always check your I.O. operations. Another one, testing for iStream end of file in a loop. A common mistake when using iStreams is to try and use end of file EOF function call to detect when there's no more input. 
this doesn't work because the end of file bit is only set after you try to read from a stream that has already reached end of file. When all the input has been read, the loop will run again, reading into X will fail, and then process X is called even though nothing was read. The solution is to test again to test whether the read succeeds instead of testing for end of file. Uh, the next one, locking and unlocking a std mutex. Well, this should be fairly obvious. Use RAAI lock guard technique for that. He says, be careful that you don't forget to give a scoped lock variable a name. This will compile, but doesn't do what you expect. I've seen that in, in, in real code, in production code even. So this doesn't do anything. Uh, the, the mutex is uh, not locked after that. So no synchronization. Next one is inserting into a container of smart pointers within place back called with new x. This is the in place back new pattern. You cannot just say pushback new x because if your container stores unique pointers to x, there's no implicit conversion from a bare pointer to a unique pointer. And the popular solution is to use in place back with new x because that compiles. But this is not safe. If the vector is full and needs to reallocate memory that could fail and throw a bad alloc exception, in that case, the pointer will be lost and will never be deleted. Admittedly, if you have a bad alloc exception, you have bigger problems, but still. The safe solution is to create a temporary unique pointer that takes ownership of the pointer before the vector might try to reallocate. Or in C14, you should just use std make unique and it's a non-issue. And again, recommendation, do not prefer a place back just because it allows you to call it an explicit constructor. Next is defining less than and other orderings correctly. The TLDR summary of this is you should probably use stdtie when implementing comparison. Since C11, you can just implement these operators by using stdtie and the operator, so the proper ordering will be preserved. Next anti-pattern is dynamically allocating std-thread objects. This code could use std-unique pointer to std-thread. But for some reason the people who use this anti-pattern never seem to use smart pointers either. <laughs> some pattern there. So the real problem with the code above is that it creates a std thread using dynamic allocation. This is unnecessary and simply makes the code slower and more error prone. The standard thread type has value semantics, so there's no need to refer to it indirectly through a pointer. Note that the thread starts immediately on creation, so if you want to defer it, you can use std optional of std thread. Uh, the next one is using std bind when constructing std thread objects. People still use that? Surprised. And finally, using std string of empty string to create empty string objects. Because the default constructor does it for you, so no need. Unless it's like a default argument or something. Right, so that's all the anti patterns. 
I think we're running out of time. That will be it for today. And I'll leave you with this tweet by Olafur Vage. What C++ means? The C part is raw pointers. The plus plus part, trying to prevent people from using raw pointers. I thought that was very good. So that's it. Thank you very much for coming, and I'll talk to you next week, hopefully. See ya. Bye.